Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So NetHealth has teamed up with Photo, and they have a great conference coming up in October. So it's October 23rd to the 25th in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it is the Clinical Outcomes Summit. So if you want to talk about something really important, which are patients and their outcomes, specifically how great it is when your whole practice rallies around a solid outcomes management program, then make sure you get to Knoxville, Tennessee, October 23rd to the 25th for the Clinical Outcomes Summit. It is hosted by Photo, which is focused on therapeutic outcomes, but it's not just for Photo clients. And Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration, The full Summit Pass is only $150. At that rate, you can bring your entire team. Go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. That's L-I-T-Z-Y. So a huge thanks to NetHealth for sponsoring this episode. And on this episode, Dr. Jason Falvey is back. He's a frequent guest, and I'm so thankful that he is. If you don't know Jason, he is a physical therapist working a postdoctoral research fellow at Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. He holds a bachelor's degree in English and a doctor of physical therapy degree from Husson University in Bangor, Maine, and a PhD in rehab sciences from the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. He is also a board-certified geriatric clinical specialist. His research interests focus on improving post-acute care quality and outcomes for older adults recovering from major medical events, such as surgery or critical illness. To date, Jason has authored or co-authored 18 peer-reviewed papers in widely read rehabilitation journals. Now, we're not talking about that in today's episode, but what we are talking about is fake news. So fake news in healthcare. So we talk about the definition of fake news as it relates to healthcare medical disinformation, What Jason recommends you do when you encounter articles with a high comment-to-tweet ratio, that's on Twitter, how you can avoid falling trap to your biases by crowdsourcing to interpret literature, and the importance of seeking information, not affirmation. So I think it's a really timely episode, and I'm really happy that Jason came on to talk about this. So hopefully you guys will now have a better idea of what is fake news in healthcare, and what isn't. Hey, Jason, welcome back to the podcast. I'm happy to have you back on, even though we're not talking about what we usually talk about when you're on these podcasts, and we have our specials with uh, Sandy Hilton and Sarah Haig, but I think this is still a really great topic, and I'm happy to have you on to dive into it. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, great to be back. I know I've been uh excited to present this topic for a couple of months. Uh, we talked about it, and uh, while it's No Sex Podcast Part 5, I think we can definitely uh, come up with uh, some interesting points for, for the audience today. Yeah, I think so too. And so everyone today, we are talking about fake news, 
Uh, as it relates to healthcare, because I know a lot of you that are listening are in the healthcare world, and if you're not, this is also a great way for you to kind of understand that everything that you read on social media isn't true. Gasp, right? So, yeah. what? <laughs> what? So, Jason, let's talk about first, what, in your opinion, is the definition of fake news as it relates to uh, healthcare and, let's say, medical disinformation? Yeah, so, I mean, I like the term medical disinformation. Like, fake news is, is not nearly as common in medicine, you know, as far as, you know, completely falsified information. Um, but medical disinformation is, is much more common um, than people may realize. Um, I think the context is that most of the 100 shared articles of last year, um, over 50% of them were um, of poor evidence quality um, when, when experts have actually rated that. Um, so when I talk about fake news and medical disinformation, I'm really kind of breaking it down into a handful of categories. So there's fake news that's rare, but um, it does happen that's false or completely inflammatory. You know, that is completely falsified data um, or completely falsified claims that uh, are created to either scare somebody into making different healthcare decisions or, or drive them towards a, a curative product that may be your marketing. Um, so that's not common, but that definitely is out there. Um, I think the more common pieces of fake news and medical disinformation are, are hyperbolic and intentional. So the splashy headline that says bacon causes cancer, you know, where people are putting that headline so it's clicked on and read when the real story behind a lot of that evidence is substantially more nuanced. Um, and then there's also hyperbolic and unintentional um, where a well-meaning university employee, for example, um, publishes a press release on a, an investigator's article and misstates or overinterprets the conclusions to be much broader or more sweeping than they are, suggesting that a drug cures cancer or Alzheimer's when really it was effective in early stage studies for a one particular protein in a mouse model. Um, so th those are the three definitions I tend to stick with, but really it's Medical information that's not fully accurate, that's shared widely and may influence healthcare decision making. And when we talk about these flashy headlines and this medical disinformation, whether intentional or unintentional, as healthcare professionals, sometimes we're responsible for sharing that. It's not just the lay public, right? So when you, you look at these headlines and you have to, and you read through, let's say, a press release, is that where it ends? Do you say to yourself, yeah, this sounds good, I'm going to share it? Yeah, and that's, that is a really, uh, a really important point and something that I, I think should be the focus of what we talk about today is really how do we, as healthcare providers, both recognize fake news um, how do we kind of avoid unintentionally sharing it? And how do we um, avoid intentionally sharing it, you know? Um, so I think my guiding principle for all of these things um, is one, you know, for any healthcare professional, it, it's Hippocratic oath, right? It's do no harm. And in healthcare, 
beyond what we do with patients and beyond the hands-on care that we provide, sharing misinformation, um, whether intentionally or unintentionally, has the potential to cause harm. Patients foregoing standard of care treatment and, and in lieu of an alternative medicine or unproven um, other therapy that uh, may, may actually cause their health to decline, you know, or causing them to participate in um, a treatment that is unlikely to benefit them and causes harm both financially for time and potentially healthcare harm. Um, so I think Hippocratic Oath above all else should really drive our decision making for, you know, how we, you know, are in the impetus for why we should care about this. And the other guideline I use is, is I really want patients uh, and providers both to be looking at social media and healthcare information that they're sharing and really make sure that they're seeking information, not affirmation. So they're seeking to broaden or challenge their pre-held assumptions and not just share things, read things, and, and kind of um, propagate a worldview that just affirms their already um, firmly held biases to the harm of patients. Yeah, but so you mean we can't cherry pick things to confirm our own biases to make ourselves look better? Is that what you're trying to say here? Yeah, I, I, I like to, you know, that sounds like a terrible polarizing thing to say, but I'm really going to stand by that, I think, and just say, I really don't think we should be cherry picking evidence and just sharing evidence that is fully supporting our worldview. Um, we may have a brand to keep. You know, I don't think I would widely share studies that I think are well done that maybe say physical therapy isn't as helpful as other things, but I certainly would acknowledge that they exist. I, I don't think I would market them heavily, but I certainly wouldn't ignore them or, or you know, basically say that they're not accurate either. But I think we have to be really careful, um, especially when we're talking about vulnerable patient populations, thinking about patients with dementia or patients with cancer who are really hanging on hope that there's something medically that can be done that's outside of what's already been offered to them and, and have a cure. And I think it's really important that we choose our language and we choose what we share, how we share, and the quality of what we share very carefully. Well, and, you know, that goes back to do no harm and I think goes back to being an ethical person. Because when you look at these vulnerable populations, like you said, the elderly, uh, people with term possibly terminal diseases, people with chronic pain, these are people who are looking for things that they feel they have not gotten that will fix them, right? And so yeah. that's where snake oil salesmen come in. That's where people sort of touting that they have this great flashy thing that isn't supported with evidence, but it sounds really, really good. And so mm -hmm. how do we as healthcare professionals combat that without looking combative and turning off those people that we actually want to help? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. And the other thing is how do we combat that information? without unintentionally propagating it either. Exactly. So I, think, I, I think when we evaluate information, I think one of the things I really encourage is 
time, right? Take time to think about the information. Take time to research the primary source of that information. Take time to recognize if there is potentially both sides of an issue. So outside of things like, you know, vaccinations causing autism, which is a clearly manufactured result mm -hmm. if you follow back the evidence, or if you go ahead and follow back evidence about, you know, infant chiropractic work, like it's generally falsified or highly, highly, highly biased to the point where there really isn't a, a pro side. But a lot of medical things have a potential pro and con side. So I think it's important to recognize the nuance um, and carefully lay out reasons, one, why you disagree with something, and two, um, you know, the rationale methodologically, not just your opinion of, of kind of how you came to that conclusion. But I think you have to do that without um, validating what you think is a very poor quality or, or highly biased or dangerous source to share. So if, for example, you saw a, a tweet about the harms of vaccination and it maybe it was for your older adult population getting the chickenpox vaccine and it caused them Alzheimer's, you know, caused them to get dementia. You know, let's say you just saw a story like that, which is not true. Um, how do you, you know, how do you combat that? Some people would just retweet it with a really dismissive comment like, this is garbage, don't listen mm -hmm. to this. But in doing that, and I'm guilty of this in the past as well, oh, yeah. we've actually unintentionally propagated that information, right? Because now I have not very many followers, but 2,000. So 2,000 followers all of a sudden see that and potentially one more retweets it and then another 2,000 people. So I've unintentionally exposed 4,000 people. Even if I'm dismissing that information, I've lent it credibility by sharing it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think what I have to do is write something about the study, not actually link or validate it in some way and not unintentionally spread fake news. And there's not an easy way to do that. So I think you really have to toe the line between um, you know, not sharing the primary sources and potentially you know, providing that provider of fake news, financial revenue from clicks, um, which is a lot of times what they want. Um, or providing a really misguided researcher clinician validation that their technique is, you know, not loved by the, the general medical population because they're jealous of his success. You know, something that they can take as a, as a way to spin it as a positive for their business. Right. And because if you're retweeting this and clicking on it and retweeting it, you're giving it life, which is what they want. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and they, they, that's what we don't want to do. Right. And I think, I mean, and I think that's one of the ways that propaganda is designed, right? From the early days of using propaganda as a, as a war tool, it was shared not just for people that believed in it heavily, it was shared in outrage and passed along and whispered about, which served the exact same purpose. Mm -hmm. um, so really, it's, it's hard to discipline ourselves in a really, like, we see something and we feel like we immediately have to react on social media and immediately have to comment on it. And I've, I've been guilty of sharing, you know, um, 
articles that are either satire um, and, and actually taking them seriously, which has happened once in a fatigued, non-caffeinated state, um, and also information or, or studies, which I think in hindsight probably weren't high quality or perhaps like overstated conclusions. My own articles have had overstated conclusions written in press releases that weren't by me um, or, or interpretations of um, written press releases that are perhaps um, more definitive than I would have wanted. You know, not mm -hmm. fake news, but certainly unintentionally declarative about the quality and, and strength of the evidence versus, you know, the, the hypothesis generating evidence that it was. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, you sort of alluded to one way uh, as healthcare providers that we can combat the fake news or the medical disinformation, and that's taking time to read the source, if it's a press release, to read the article, to maybe look at the methodology and to, to see, well, what, how would we rate this study? So that's one way we can combat it, which takes time. And like you said, on social media, people often react quickly because it's emotional. So maybe we need to take a deep breath and then take a moment and think about what we want to do. Do we want to share this misinformation or do we want to read it and come up with maybe another way to share more positive information? What else can we do as healthcare providers to get around this fake news? Yeah, so as far as when we encounter something, I think that, that we think is fake news or, you know, unintentionally or intentionally hyperbolic to the point where we think it's harmful to patients, right? And I think that's the line I draw. Like, if I think potentially sharing or, or engaging with this information in any way could propagate information that's harmful to patients, I generally... Um, take a little extra caution. And one of the things I look at, and I see, you know, and politically or in healthcare news, if I see a tweet that goes out that has a really high comment to retweet like ratio. So there's this term ratioed, and it's not scientific, and it's not peer reviewed. Um, but I find that it's a good starting point. When you see a tweet from a government official or a healthcare provider, healthcare um, related source, and there's more than double the amount of comments than there is retweets and likes, it makes me go and do a little bit more investigation. You know, sometimes those comments are positive and way to go, and sometimes there's a lot of skepticism or criticism of the findings or, or people really, you know, offering um, some real insight into some of the problems in uh, methodologically or otherwise. Um, and often a well-done methodological study can be completely blown out of the water on Twitter by a very poorly written headline, right? So I, I say we should care about, you know, storylines, not just headlines. And one of the ways we do that is, is looking at comments, retweets, and likes, looking at that ratio, and look at the source, right? Who's retweeting? Um, and, and so I pay attention to that because most fake news on the internet is actually propagated by bots. So there's a very high percentage of fake news that is propagated by, you know, automated accounts that are automatically set up to capture certain hashtags or certain language and amplify it. You know, that's, I mean, if you're a, a political audience would know that 
that's how the Russians basically designed the misinformation campaign to, um, you know, influence the 2016 mm -hmm. election was right. using bots to amplify certain messages. Well, that happens to a lesser extent in healthcare. There are certain pockets, you know, of of healthcare professionals, and there may be some in our profession that pro provide certain treatments. There may be some in other alternative medicine uh, professions. There may be some in mainstream medical professions um, um, that are physicians or nurses who um, you know, use their medical expertise and propagate information about medical techniques like abortion or vaccines in a way that makes them seem more credible. So I look at who's retweeting, what, what, the, what, the, what the population of people that are retweeting is, who, you know, who the person, the primary source is coming from, right? If it's a, you said if it's a summary of an article from a press release or, or somebody's blog, like I want to go and find that primary source and, and then also look at the, the uh, biases that, of the person who may be interpreting that information for me mm -hmm. if they're a credible source. Yeah, and I think you also want to keep in mind those hot button issues may have more uh, misinformation about them. Like you said, vaccines, abortions, these are hot button issues, right? So you have to, I think, take a more examining eye to some of these hot button mm -hmm. issues than with others. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that others don't have, that other issues in healthcare are not as, uh, do not have as much misinformation surrounding them. But when you're talking about things that are that are really emotional for people, I think that's when you have to also take a, a good editing eye to to some of the to some of this information being put out there. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's true. And I think while looking at the source of information is one thing, like you can see, like Cleveland Clinic has accidentally posted fake news before, where they put in like a really positive result from a innovative, um, an innovative experimental therapy for cancer. Mm -hmm. And they put in a brain scan and said, this person had a miraculous result, forgetting to mention that they also were receiving the standard care and this, um, you know, additional therapy where they didn't know if that was the cause or if it was just a normal reaction to the normal care. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden you created a demand for something that is at best, um, you know, maybe ineffective. And at worst, we don't know if it's harmful. Right. So they, right. you know, by having a high visibility site, your um, your responsibility for for news is even higher. Um, so I think that's an important piece, like know who's tweeting it, but then go back and make sure you have the whole story. If it sounds too good to be true, I mean, this is this is the humanities education that a lot of you know PT students have complained that they've had to take history and literature and policy courses throughout their undergraduate degrees, and, and some have suggested streamlining education to really eliminate those things. My counter argument is those skills you learn from critical thinking and critical reading and analysis an understanding of historical context and how to how to read hyperbole, how to read um, lang you know, marketing and different kinds of language really with a critical eye, you, you tend, to, tend to develop a radar for when you're suspicious of information and when you want to go and look a little deeper, even if it's from a what you view as a pretty credible source.
Yeah, absolutely. And what, so we've got taking your time, really looking at not only the source of the article, but who's retweeting it and that retweet to comment ratio. Is there anything else that we should be doing as healthcare professionals to make sure that we're not propagating this uh, misinformation? We're gonna take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back with Jason's answer. Let's talk about something important patients and their outcomes. If you love to nerd out on this kind of talk like I do, the best industry event around outcomes management is happening from October 23rd to the 25th, and it's the Clinical Outcomes Summit. It's hosted by Photo, but it's not just for photo clients. It's a gathering of everyone who believes in the power of outcomes management to drive change for patients, clinicians, practices, and payers. And the best part, healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration. The full summit pass is only $150. At that rate, go ahead and bring your entire team. Go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. That's L-I-T-Z-Y. Hope to see you there. You know, the other thing that I I really think would be helpful is crowdsourcing, right? So most of us are networked on social media with a lot of other really knowledgeable professionals. You know, I know that on my Twitter feed alone, there's half the people are probably smarter than me. Um, oh, I don't I, know about that. But I, but that's intentional, right? Like I want to be in a community of really intelligent people who think about issues critically, who may have different opinions than me. And I could say, I just read a study about X, Y, Z, and the conclusion seems flawed. Who would want to, you know, and maybe I don't name the article. Maybe I don't put a link to it. I just put the tweet and throw out a few names and say, hey, I would love if, some of my community would like to take a look at this and tell me what they think, right? If I'm on the borderline of, of whether or not I think this is legitimate or I ask somebody in the profession, you know, lean on them to really make sure that I'm taking that extra step to not share information that is influencing medical decisions in a negative way. Um, you know, and I teach my patients these same strategies, right? When I've talked to patients and caregivers who are Googling information, WebMDing, looking at blogs, you know, I've had patients with significant neurological illnesses that are terminal in one of the places I practice, and I won't name that place if it's a relatively rare disease, but this person um, searched the literature, and she was a very well-educated person, searched the literature high and low for a cure for her neurodegenerative disease, and found one that was highly controversial, um, probably harmful and she invested thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of travel over three months um, for something that was not beneficial while she was eschewing typical medical care. So, you know, that kind of taught me how to teach patients not just how to look for information, right? That's part of the problem, but how to evaluate information how to triangulate information to make sure that the reference that they found is supported by expert opinion and maybe other you know articles and make sure there's a critical mass of support for this particular treatment before they really make a major alteration to their course right mm. like a single article about a vitamin supplement that might help that has little harm, you know, that may be something that I don't intervene on. 
but somebody who's thinking about making massive changes to their medical routine, um, whether it has directly to do with rehab or not, I encourage people to look at the literature critically. And, and I use the word triangulation just, and I draw it out. I'm just like, you should be able to verify this information should be similar between these three things, right? And if they tell me that they've done that and they found those three things, I'm more comfortable, even if I disagree, at least I've done my diligence to, to make sure they've looked at the issue in a, in a robust way and not fallen victim to something that was, you know, purely a single tweet or Facebook post of medical disinformation. That's a shame. Um, and I think it's important that you brought up that as healthcare professionals, we should be talking to our patients about this and we should mm -hmm. be teaching them. So I'm glad that you went through that. Yes, we should be teaching them what to look for that. You know, if we can have a more educated patient base and a more educated base of healthcare professionals, then mm -hmm. high in the sky view, of course, the amount of misinformation may be less. Yeah, and I think uh, countries, there's, there's certain countries that have done a lot of work, like um, Norway, for example, has done a lot of work from, as, in a country perspective on, on educating citizenry on medical and, and you know, general disinformation, both political and medical, um, and teaching how to recognize it, giving a lot of the same strategies we've talked about of, of really time and a little bit of additional resource and that solves so many of the problems and the things that tend to um, not be you know kind of um, you know, if you don't if you don't change somebody's decision making process and, and they still are, are firm believers in the medical disinformation at that point then you go to some of the other strategies of, of mm -hmm. more um, you know more targeted intervention but i think it's a general population strategy those are great places to start and really just I tell patients all the time, like, I am going to be telling you, seek information, not affirmation. Like if you have a friend who told you about this treatment, you need to remember that everybody responds individually to medications and treatments. And, you know, because I, I think we've all had patients that say, my friend got this therapy and their knee got better. Yep. Right? And it's completely inappropriate for that patient. But it's really hard to walk that back, you know, from just your professional opinion. So teaching them how to look for information and letting them look for it on their own instead of providing it to them, I found is sometimes a helpful strategy because it feels like I'm not forcing my view on them. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you can, you can rest more comfortably knowing that you put tools in people's hands, you know, healthcare providers or patients, teach them how to do these things. I mean, but it does take some effort on their part too, right? It's, you definitely have to want to read these things carefully and you have to have the mindset that you don't want to just look for information that, that validates what you already believe. And, and I've seen this, you know, I don't like to pick on dry needling, but I definitely have seen people who are very strong believers in dry needling, just cherry pick evidence that supports their worldview recognize without recognizing that there's a lot more nuance to that discussion and i'm not anti or pro dry needling i'm pro information yeah. um and, and really you know looking carefully and, and realizing that there are a patients who do benefit from it but it is certainly not a blanket treatment that everybody should be using and it doesn't cure anything it's a tool in your bag like everything else so um 
you know, I, I think it's really important to just have that seek information, not affirmation. If I can say something a few times on this podcast, that will be what it is. Well, and my next question would be, um, after having this great conversation, is there anything we missed? And is there anything that you really want pe- to stick in people's minds? Which I think you just said it, yeah. but I'll ask the question anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing. And I think the other thing is like, when you are a healthcare professional, I think investing money in like high quality sources. So whatever source, you know, like if you're, for me, I tend to read a newspaper, New York Times or Washington Post. I have a subscription to it. I try to support that kind of, you know, to to provide financial resources to a place that I trust to provide me good information because that is positive reinforcement, right? Mm -hmm. I try not to provide positive financial rewards to places that are providing disinformation. And you do that by clicking on their articles, right? If you read a headline and it's like vaccines, you know, cause autism study says, and I click on that headline, I've unintentionally propagated and supported financially that fake news provider who now is incentivized to create more fake news. Mm -hmm. So I think it takes a lot of discipline to not fall victim to our need to read everything. And, you know, sometimes we have to think about the greater good is not clicking on that article, um, you know, shutting it down, blocking, you know, that, that news source or whatever, if you really feel like it's egregious enough um, Mm -hmm. and not engaging with it because in creating polarization, polarization is what creates ratings on television. Polarization is what creates ratings on radio polarization is what gets people to download podcasts and and things that are highly controversial um polarization you know sells books right the the top selling books on the new york times bestseller list are generally there's political books that exist and Mm -hmm. sometimes multiple political books that are on that list from different points of view um so i think it's really important that we don't support egregious um you know, fake news providers or fake healthcare news providers and don't engage with them on Twitter because that's giving them a, a form of, of, of positive attention, even if you're criticizing their work, that they can go ahead and leverage um, to, to share more. Yeah. And, and I thank you for all that uh, great information. And hopefully the listeners can really take this in and understand that what we do on social media has ramifications, one to our profession and two to the people we serve. So mm-hmm. Jason, before we leave, I have a uh, last question. And normally I ask people, what advice would you give to yourself as a new grad? But I'm going to ask you, what advice would you give to yourself as a new grad physical therapist in light of fake news? Oh, that's a great question. And I think, you know, beyond the, the sentence I've said, this seek information, not affirmation, which I think is helpful for research and beyond, I think um, one of the things I would tell myself as a new grad physical therapist in this era is I would be incredibly thankful for my English education, my, my bachelor's degree in English and, and all of the humanities and critical thinking classes that I took and all of the writing that I did, because 
trust me, I wrote enough papers um, as an undergraduate that probably could have qualified as fake news because I didn't really read the books very carefully um, and really had some made up opinions about what, uh, what I thought was happening. So I think I can recognize the difference in, in that writing now. And I would tell myself, be appreciative of the education and humanities and the historical context that you've gained and use those skills. Don't forget about them. They are valuable parts of your tool bag. They are not um, direct patient care skills, but they're among the most critical soft skills you can, you can obtain to really do a good service to your patients um, and teaching them how to use um, those skills in their own um, and, and, and taking healthcare into their own hands. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's a great discussion. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Where can people find you if they want more info or to ask you questions? Yeah. So I am listed on the Yale site. I am not officially representing Yale now, just to put that out there. But um, my email address is on the, uh, the Yale Division of Geriatrics site. I'm also on Twitter at jrayfalvey, and I'm sure you'll put that in your show notes. Yep. Um, so those are the two things. Um, and hold me accountable. If you see me sharing something that you think is um, not a great source of information, tell me about it, right? And I think holding each other accountable is part of, uh, part, of this, part of this process, and doing that in a professional way is uh, all the better. Deal. You've got it. And thanks again for coming on. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days, and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. And a big thank you to Dr. Jason Falby for coming on the podcast again and sharing all of that great information with us on about fake news in healthcare. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, NetHealth. So if you want to learn more about patient outcomes, you have to get to the Clinical Outcomes Summit, October 23rd to the 25th in Knoxville, Tennessee. You'll hear success stories and case studies from your peers about leveraging outcome data for deep patient engagement, thoughtful business practices, clinician education, optimizing revenue, and more. And like I said, it is hosted by Photo, but it's not just for Photo clients. It's a gathering of everyone who believes in the power of outcomes management to drive change for patients, clinicians, practices, and payers. And of course, healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration. The full summit pass is only $150, so head over to outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.